At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. The last three years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops, an exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organizations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on-site pop-up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Want a free pass? Use code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Christine Liu. Christine is the expert behind Toronto-based CL Designs and the Brand Party podcast, a show that energizes entrepreneurs to invest in their brands. Christine's a graphic designer who's traded climbing the corporate ladder for climbing mountains around the world. Christine helps purpose-driven businesses create a cohesive branding, web design, and social content to drive their impact in sales. As featured in the Top 10 Canada Design, the Brand Party podcast delivers fun, honest-to-the-point advice that you can implement right away in your entrepreneurial journey. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to dive in. Uh, well, we're happy to have you here, a professional podcaster and everything. So let's start off the way we normally do, which is we'll ask you, knowing that we've got some very busy entrepreneurs listening to the show, uh, what's the top piece of advice that you hope they'll take away from this conversation? Yeah, I want them to get intentional about their choices and that 
you can give yourself some grace that you don't need to look like everybody else in your industry, especially to look quote unquote successful either. I think there's a lot of noise out there, especially. So the more that you can clarify and own who you are, the more that you're able to attract the right people around you and ultimately translate into sales with integrity too. Sales with integrity? What does that mean? Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm sure everybody's come across some sort of icky salesperson at one point or another, right? Um, I see you nodding your head and laughing. I think a lot of people can relate to that experience. And so when I say sales with integrity, I also want to make sure that it feels aligned. It's like purpose driven. It's like values oriented all um, as much as possible and that you're finding the right people that, you know, connect with the things that matter most to you. All right. Perfect. So where did it all start for you, Christine? When did you stop climbing the corporate ladder and start climbing, you know, the, the real mountains around the world? Yeah, it was about four and a half years ago. And so I decided to put my resignation letter in, pack a one-way uh, ticket and pack my bags and ended up traveling on and off uh, while starting my business for CL Designs full time for about eight months on and off. And, you know, then the pandemic sort of hit at that point as well. But really grateful for that experience and rewinding it back a little bit to give you the Coles Notes version. My first dip into entrepreneurship was about 10 years ago with a streetwear apparel brand called In Lieu Of. So it was a fun spinoff of my last name, um, but also, <laughs> yeah, very much in lieu of what I needed at that point in my life as well. And thinking back that a number of loved ones had passed away during that time in my life and really made me reflect on how I wanted to show up in the world ultimately. And through the catalyst of design, it's really inspired me in a lot of ways and fell in love with startup culture, worked for corporate for a little bit for brands like Walmart, at Rogers Media Publishing, Sportsnet, McLean's, and then at CBC Music for some time as a graphic designer and digital associate producer, living my 16-year-old dream job, if you had asked me back then. But I'm always looking for that next creative challenge and next creative mountain, if you would, figuratively and literally. And so I decided to pack it all up and bet on myself almost five years ago now. And it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Wow. Okay, enough about business. What are, what are some of the mountains that you climbed? Yeah, a lot of like mountains and volcanoes, I would say mostly, but Machu Picchu was a big favorite of mine um, in Peru was a yeah a big milestone yeah that's beautiful that's amazing have you been to uh, like big volcanoes hawaii japan that sort of thing mm, yeah greece has really great ones also i would say really? yeah very cool all right well we'll talk about that more after the show <laughs> or we'll start a travel podcast <laughs> okay so for any listener who's not sure and i bet there's a bunch of them what exactly is Branding. Yeah, branding is really how you put yourself out there and represent what your values are, your mission. It can be, you know, the visual communications of it as well. So anything, if you think of brand identity, especially, this entails your logo design to your color choices and your palette to font pairings that you choose, the mood board and imagery that you end up depicting. There's so many elements that go into showcasing your own brand and how it's being perceived to your particular targeted audience, especially. Right. When I think of branding, the first thing I think of is trust, you know, trying to create um, a relationship of trust between you and whoever your target market might be and even beyond the target market um but of course but you're a designer and design is a big part of branding um 
what's the relationship there? I mean, why is a designer so into branding? Because branding is more than design, but design, I guess, is sort of the heart of branding or chapter one in branding. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really great way. I love that you mentioned that trust piece, especially because I feel like there's so much emotions and intention that go behind branding that a lot of people don't see behind the scenes in the process as well. And so to shine some light on it, uh, there's so many things in terms of like brand messaging, in terms of the language that you use to connect with your audience, right? Using the vocabularies that they might use naturally to really help bridge that gap, as well as thinking about then the execution of design to really help clearly communicate that to people, right? But ultimately finding that emotional connection that you can build that like no trust factor that you're talking about too. Right, right. What makes a brand great? Oh, I mean, I think like good art and design, ultimately, you evoke some sort of emotional appeal to an audience. So ideally, you target the right people that you're looking for, because if you speak to everyone, you're speaking to no one at the same time. And so I think it's important to consider who is it that you actually want to be sharing this knowledge ultimately with so that you can help them in their journey that one step further along the way and help support them as generously as possible. But I think it's really comes down to is it really clearly communicated at the end of the day? Right. I love your your comment that it evokes an, an emotional reaction. Um, I don't tend to think of it that way, but but looking at it, yeah, I think that's uh, that's got to be the goal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because whether you hate or love something, it's like what people say about media in some ways, right? Is sometimes, uh, of course, you want it in the best foot forward and the best light as possible, but as long as people are starting to talk about it, um, I think that that's a great piece in terms of brand building that brand awareness and that brand discovery, especially if you're starting out or you know building that that trust factor, especially. Are there any great brands you can tell us about that, that you like, that you that you respect, that you think they're doing a great job at, at branding and living up to that brand? You know, I think that there's always that classic example of McDonald's, for example, right? Everybody worldwide, if you say McDonald's, you have some sort of reaction to it, whether you love it or you have mixed feelings about it from, you know, Super Size Me, the movie, for example. But it does such a great job in terms of being able to elevate it from like, a you know, each franchise approach to worldwide international, that appeal that it's all consistent across the board. You think of your golden arches as their logo, uh, as well as like the smiling faces and the Ronald McDonald mascot to, you know, the yellow, golden yellow, and then the red color, which is really great because red is a uh, fun fact, also really great for stimulating hunger as well. So it's, it's really intentional. I think of the color choices that they've picked, but also it's so universal when you say it to people, uh, whether they're tuning in from Canada here or halfway across the world, they have usually a very clear idea of what McDonald's is to them. Hold on. Red is good for stimulating hunger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have I been manipulated all these years without knowing it? So there's a lot of brands out there, right, that are using red, funny enough. So like KFC, uh, McDonald's as like very good, clear example, Wendy's. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So subliminal messaging, you know? <laughs> Harvey's, good Canadian restaurant. Sort of, I think of gray, gray and orange. Mm, yeah, or, the orange, exactly. <laughs> I guess the orange is is, 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 is the, the secret sauce there, if we can mix metaphors. 
Um, any other great brands you can think of? Ooh. Any Canadian ones? Let's see. I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, the Lululemons of the world, right, is Canadian as well. I think across the board, they're very like, kind of like the Nike of Canada, for a lack of a better word. Like, I think great brands also have this aspirational lifestyle quality to them, right, that people can relate to, or also be inspired to uh, rise up to perhaps or be a part of something um, greater. So in, in their sense, really leaning into the active lifestyle that they want to portray online to in person, doing community events, having that value associated with it, and whatnot. I think they do a really great job of it. But also people really recognize that symbol across the board on their clothing. Right. Do you think entrepreneurs in general, and this is a huge generalization, do you think that they're good at branding? Do you think they're missing some opportunities to build better brands? I think there's a lot of pressure as entrepreneurs, especially if you are a solopreneur and you are literally the face of your brand. Sometimes it can be really hard to be seeming like the pressure to be bigger than yourself, for example, and have that a lot of society and a lot of the other brands out there in the world to feel like you have to compete with them on a certain level that you might want to seem larger than yourself or use language that feels like that when in retrospect, sometimes when you have brand messaging, that's very specific to uh, like that one-on-one perspective, perhaps that you have with client relationships that sometimes might be your superpower as well. And what people actually really value and want to work with you on. So I think it's really important as much as you think that your brand is about you. It's almost so much more about the type of people that you're of service to as well. Interesting. Now your brand, it's it's bright and fun. It embraces confetti. It's full of color. Tell us about how you build your brand and what was important to you when you were building that up. I think it's definitely important to highlight that it's not always sunshine and rainbows over here as much as I try to keep it that way. Um, and so it may have even manifested from when I was doing my thesis project back at uh, my undergrad as well for my bachelor's of graphic design. And I was researching how different cultures were celebrating life and death because that was what was uh, relevant to me during that time when I had stepped into entrepreneurship uh, as well. And so I highlighted in my journey that, yeah, it's not always sunshine and rainbows and as vibrant and bold as you see it on my website or Instagram nowadays. But it's important to highlight that your brand will evolve with you equally as much. And so coming back, just to give some context as well, pre-CL designs, I had a very different clientele when I was freelancing with more corporate clients. And it felt like I had to look a certain way in order to be successful or to close these projects and clients. And so it had in respect more of a muted palette because I thought that's how I want I had to show up um, as well for more corporate clients. So it was a very like muted charcoal gray. It was like very muted teal. And what you see now is like the very bright golden yellows, like a very vibrant, uh, fiery reddish orange to a teal color. And so having the time and space to really explore what it is that I wanted to stand for and have that essence of celebration and um, culture as well. I had lived in Mexico when I decided to quit my full-time job and um, if anybody's been to Mexico before, it's very vivacious. It's like very vibrant. Colors, colors, yeah, colors. it just screams color like you're mentioning too, Rick. And so I fell in love with that and the culture and how they celebrated life. Um, and so 
I really wanted to evoke that like adventurous, vibrant for life, celebratory spirit in my brand that was inspired by my travels and adventures when I first started sales designs full time. And so now it really does help to evoke that bold legacy that I want to help share with my clients as well through the projects that we work on. And so you see the confetti, you see the color choices, like the very clear, transparent fonts like that are easy to approach. It just has a really open spirit to it. Right. But it was a bit of a journey. As you say, you started out thinking, okay, I'm going to go corporate now. I got to go beige. You got to mute the color. <laughs> yeah. so, so tell us how that worked and why you were, or, or how that worked out and how you gained the confidence to be more yourself. Yeah, it, it's a journey. So if you're going through it, like it's okay, first of all. And I felt like I had the pressure for myself and just people around me. There's so much muted palettes out there and there's a time and place for them for sure. But I think really having that time to self-reflect, especially because I am a solopreneur and looking at myself as you know the majority of people working directly with me, especially really owning that that was a big value to work directly with my clients. That's something that they wanted ultimately as well, really leaning into that of, why you're of service to people and that purpose that you bring to everything that you do. I think it only made sense to translate that uh, into the color choices and the branding uh, design ultimately uh, that you see now. Yeah, definitely an, an interesting journey. Tell me how you figured out that whatever opinion we may have of the corporate people that we work with as entrepreneurs, um, what helps you realize that they don't need muted colors. They want they want to live in a colorful world too, just like me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being able to live your truth and the values that you have aligned with other people in the world, I think that's one of the most courageous things that you could do in your life ultimately. And so that's what I get so jazzed to wake up to every single day, as you can probably tell by the sound of my voice, but also... I do wish that for corporate clients, especially as well, right? Because there is so much of that bland, outdated, uh, very muted sort of aspect um, in the world. And I think the more that you can really convey your truth, transparency, purpose, uh, values, intention, all of those things, when they come together, it's absolute magic. Beautiful, beautiful. So, um, you say you believe that entrepreneurs' brands are worth celebrating. So what does that mean? Yeah. So it's one of my favorite questions to probably ask people on the Brand Party podcast, but also when I wrap up projects with my clients, I like to ask them, how do they like to celebrate? And oftentimes, Rick, most people are very caught <laughs> off guard, actually, when I ask them this question. And so, I mean, I'm guilty of it sometimes, too, but it's a big core value of mine that I try to instill to my community every single, you know, touch point. But on the days when it's not so sunny, like, especially because, you know, in entrepreneurship, it does happen that it's important to highlight that, you know, the progress that we've made so far, focus on the um, the gain, not always the gap that we're creating. And that's what's going to build connection with people as well on those ups and downs, the roller coaster ride that you're talking about. And I do think it's really important to celebrate as well at the end of the day. You said something there, which I just want to hear you talk a little bit more about because I love it. Focus on the game, not the gap. Yeah. So for example, if you aspire to make, let's just say, throw out there like six figures within your business as an example. And so say you hit like 95,000, let's say. That is 
amazing. You know, you've made such great progress, I'm sure, from where you were a year ago, right? And so it's tax season is very relevant right now, perhaps, of what your financial goals might be as you're projecting. But it's important, I feel like, whether it's financial or I wanted more capacity in my schedule so I could spend time with my family. If that's what's really important to you, then, you know, being able to fit that into your schedule or plug in that well-deserved vacation time and actually take the vacation at the end of the day, right? <laughs> the follow-through, I think, is important. But also, yeah, those are big progresses that may not matter to somebody else but if it matters to you then that's ultimately what's important right, right? i think that uh, you and startup canada we should work together and put out t-shirts that say focus on the game not the gap i love it <laughs> yeah we don't celebrate that's enough right, right? right we probably won't be able to sell sell any at the gap but <laughs> they can trademark for us if they want to yeah hire right. us <laughs> What are the common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs making in their businesses when they're trying to build brands? I would say that a lot of things are that they feel like they have to wait to do it as well uh, is a big one or that it's only for big brands out there. But I almost feel that it's more important, especially if you are a small to medium business, for example, because building that trust factor that we talked about earlier on is so impactful to be able to have that touch point with people and to really associate that discovery phase, especially with putting your best foot forward, clearly communicating what it is that you actually do. And so you're top of mind when people do think of you for, you know, whether they're looking for cleaning supplies uh, for their next, you know, spring cleaning experience, or they're looking to hire a designer, what have you. There's so many things that whether it's the person right now, or they know somebody who knows somebody, being able to keep that top of mind is so important. So I would start today, even if you feel like you're not ready, then just start somewhere. And it will evolve with you ultimately as well in your journey. Another aspect I feel like as well is that people oftentimes when it comes to color, that they choose their favorite color, but it doesn't always evoke that emotional impact that you're looking to create or resonate with your audience. So for example, if you uh, have a mental health brand like Cam H, for example, like alternative colors like purple um, really help evoke that uh, side of mental health as well as like more of a calming approach perhaps with the purple hue, right? So there's certain things that go into color psychology, which we could dive a whole other episode into, but you know, those intentional choices really make all the difference too. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I've done a lot of uh, copy development for companies and like they hire me to like to write a press release. And then I throw them off when I say, okay, um, what's our objective here? And they say, just write the press release. I say, no, what's our objective? You know, who's our market? What do we want them to do with this information? So trying to put into context so I can not just write a piece about a new product or something, but make sure that it's an important part of the um, overall dialogue that the company is going to have with its market. So I'm wondering what sort of questions do you ask when people sit down and say, hey, I want you to design a brochure for us? Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. And you say, I can't just do a brochure. Tell me more. I wish it was that easy, right? To be able to just like switch brains almost <laughs> for that period of time, because there's a lot of things that go unspoken where it's really important to have that initial consultation together to really get on the same page at the very beginning and have a clear direction and path. Because I don't think sometimes to give the analogy that it's not as fast that you're going, but having a clear path and direction to go is probably the most (laughs) important in this adventure. And so with that in mind, things that I like to ask my clients at the very beginning is typically like, if you were to think of your brand as your best friend, for example, how would you describe them as characteristics and aesthetics within five words? So you really help narrow it down based on how you would describe somebody and really help humanize the brand. So it has that emotional impact to it. Or another uh, exercise that I love going through with clients as well as Brene Brown's uh, core values exercise. So there's like no right or wrong answer associated with it, but really coming back to helping you make good branding choices and business decisions at the end of the day with it and really leaning into ideally core two to three values as your main ones of how you want to use this for your messaging to, you know, um, how you're showing up in other experiences ultimately too. And then another piece that I like to go through is really looking at visual references are always helpful as well, just to get on the same page ultimately, because when somebody says bold, we might have very different interpretations and perceptions of what that looks like. But by having a visual reference, that really helps to hone in on speaking that same language as well. And that's a really good point that you had brought up too, Rick, that when it comes to messaging and language, whether it's in a like press release or language on your website, sales page to captions on your social media, it's also important to honor like what is that archetype uh, or brand voice that you're attributing things to, right? So it has that cohesive storytelling to it ultimately. Because if it sounds like five different people have written it, it's very jarring and can really disconnect the audience from your brand as well. Right. It's, it's hard on an audio podcast to talk about design, but can you tell us a little bit more about the visual referencing exercise that you mentioned? Um, so, so how does that help you get closer and communicate and, and, and move forward? Yeah, ultimately for me, it's like uh, being able to cl- clearly translate what they have in their brain to paper in a sense. So whether that's starting with a Pinterest board or a Google Drive folder where you can just brain dump at this early point, then feel free to just drop every idea in there that you have. And, you know, we can curate from there at that point, because typically what happens when you do a brain dump like that, you often will see some sort of pattern or styling develop that you might be uh, attracted to of why you've pulled and curated these uh, references to begin with. And so it's just a really nice access point, I find, to have deeper conversations and dialogue of why did you choose these specific things? Do you like the comparison between, you know, X photo versus Y photo? Um, and just really have that clear distinction to talk from a starting point that you can both refer to. Right. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs, certainly in the startup stage, you can get bogged down in things like branding. Um, and there's other people who say, no, we're moving fast, we're breaking things, uh, we don't have time for branding. Is there, What's the best time for, for an entrepreneur who's busy and has 20 other important things to do? What's the, what's the best time for someone to, to say, okay, let's, let's get this right, let's get a professional brand out there for all the reasons we already talked about? You're wearing all the hats, so I totally get it. And 
the way that I look at branding too, is that by having the main foundations figured out is with this analogy, maybe it will relate to the listeners here too, that think of your brand like a house. So it's maybe one of the biggest assets that you own. It's your own property out there. And so thinking five, 10 years down the road, you typically have one of two options. One of them being that you freshen things up, you renovate a little bit and tweak things just to make them relevant to what's going on in the economy and the industry, how it's evolved over time. And then the second piece being that you have to knock everything all down because you had weak foundations to begin with. And so I encourage you to reflect on which option you would prefer either to tweak and uh, renovate a little bit, or if you prefer to knock it all down and start from scratch again. Oftentimes, people would prefer probably to just adapt a few things here and there because they had really strong foundations to begin with. And so keeping that perspective in mind, I like to think that you can always start somewhere. It will evolve with you. So give yourself that grace and permission ultimately too. But I would say an really integral time is when maybe a few years, especially into your business, I think that's a really good time to audit and reflect what's been going really well, what are areas that you could bridge that gap or areas of opportunity ultimately as well to increase that uh, emotional capacity and connection and trust factor with your uh, ideal client ultimately. And so thinking about that, typically within a few years, you've hopefully had some market research along the way, you've uh, been able to identify who is it that you really want to speak to directly in more detail. And also really think about your UVP at the end of the day that makes you different and really lean into that when you are making those branded choices. Okay, there you go with the complex art terminology. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So your unique value proposition. And? So what's that? That's basically like, I like to just really come down to your superpower at the end of the day. Like, what is it that makes you different that is going to really set you apart in the market ultimately? Very cool. I hate it when someone asks me this question because I never know what to say. But fortunately, I'm asking the questions. This isn't your podcast. This is <laughs> so do you have a success story that you like to talk about where you've been able to work with a client and help them? find the right route and good things came of it? I love getting to uncover like what is that client's superpower, their value, their purpose. And so I had a client um, share with me recently as well after working together that our experience was beyond design and execution and that she felt so seen in the process together and to be able to show up as her both authentic self and to be able to hear something like that and experience being part of that through the catalyst of design and branding to be able to put her best foot forward and ultimately close more clients and live the life and business that she ultimately dreams of. I think that is like one of the best compliments that I can I can get. And so I like to come back to, to that Simon Sinek. He has this quote about people don't buy what you do, but why you do it. And that's always come back to, you know, what is that motivational, emotional connection that you're creating with others as well, because it often gets very overlooked. And so it's really important for me to always communicate with clients as well of the intention and how that's being translated transparently, ultimately, to your intentions and expectations to who you're working with. And so one story that I like coming back to is uh, being able to translate that purpose and experiences of my clients' impactful work through 
clear communication and design is um, through one of the clients called Fora Network for Change. So uh, they have a organization, a nonprofit, where they help a lot of young women around the world with uh, youth leadership training. Um, and so I've been working with them for a few years now, and it's been really interesting to work dynamically together to bring these messages and experiences of young women delegates around the world to life and to create like documents that are going to ultimately impact their funding opportunities, like their annual reports to their sponsorship decks. And so it comes back to that storytelling piece, right? And how do you translate those values, those like lived experiences and the ultimately with the goals and objectives of gaining more funding to continue the impactful work that they're doing. And so I think most of my clients as well, like them, they have very lean teams and oftentimes don't have a huge dedicated uh, communications department. So it's really important for me to be able to come in and have somebody who cares as much about their work as they do ultimately, right? And be able to translate that through how do we use your brand color palette to accent and emphasize certain messages, right? Or how do we choose and curate the certain uh, photography choices to really bring this experience to life and that emotional sense when you are reading through this uh, report when, especially with, you know, annual reports, sponsorship decks, what traditionally might be a bit of a dry piece of content with a lot of numbers. How do you make that exciting and enthusiastic for people to really flow through and experience easily as well and consume in a digestible way are all things that we try to consider too. Right. Uh, we mentioned early on that your sort of uh, favorite client is purpose is a purpose-driven organization. Tell us, tell us why that is. Does that get you a little farther ahead already in sort of the branding? Perhaps. I think that it's important to do work that you really enjoy also. Uh, I remember reading a Forbes article way back when in my journey about happy pricing and that sort of related to me in terms of, you know, making happy happy pricing. pricing. Yeah, a Forbes article. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, they might sound counterintuitive depending on where you are in your own financial journey, perhaps, or money, you know, mindset, but... I think it was really important for me to read, especially starting out, because oftentimes money can be one of those sticky conversations that feels, uh, yeah, just like a little bit hard to spit out sometimes when you know what you're worth, but you're still starting out, you're trying to figure it out, or, you know, you really love your client and uh, resonate with the, you know, mission that they're driving. But at the end of the day, we all have to pay our bills at the end of the day, too, and be driven to do the work. And so... I think it's important to have that happy pricing and that uh, balance ultimately too, so that you're not resenting the work that you're doing because of X, Y, Z factor. Fantastic. Do purpose-driven companies, do they pay faster? I don't know about faster, but I think that a big misconception is that they don't have funding to put towards things like this, right? But I think that there there is, and you know, there's a time and place that you can definitely you know, might have some wiggle room, but I think it is worth putting yourself out there if it's something that you're interested in. Right, cool. You say you help you you help your clients say yes to consistency, creativity, and efficiency. I'm wondering what that means. So I would say that creativity is often associated with like a lot of fun ultimately, but 
and consistency and efficiency, I think they go hand in hand in the world of, you know, productivity. And so keeping that in mind, as much fun as creativity can be, it's also important to recognize how much discipline that it takes to be able to have these ideas continuing to flow and also being consistent and efficient with your time. Because as we've talked about these different branding elements today, too, on the visual side of things, especially, they will ultimately hopefully save you time and capacity in the long run, because you have those really strong foundations and go to choices already made. Cool. Are are, are these things that uh, clients ask for? Do they know that they want consistency, creativity, efficiency? I think people feel like they should be consistent um, is what I hear a lot, right? And then when it comes to the efficiency piece, I think everybody's, uh, especially coming out of COVID, I would say everybody generally is pretty uh, amped up about trying to save themselves more capacity and having more rest ultimately as well. So I think that's where the efficiency piece really comes in by having those no fail uh, choices already right. figured out. My, my own impression of creativity is that it's, it's an essential business tool, but that most of us aren't very good at it. We know that it's a good thing, but we have very tedious day jobs. <laughs> we have to handle a lot of stuff. And sometimes the creativity gets forgotten, gets the languishes in the background. I'm just wondering, how can entrepreneurs boost their creativity? It does happen. And so it's important to recognize that you're, it's okay, it's natural, and it happens. And it's important to also acknowledge perhaps and identify like what type of creative block it may be. So three typical ones that I like to identify is like your mental one. So this could be where you're getting in your own head. Um, So mindset is extremely important in that sense. It's like a daily muscle that you need to stretch in order to continue resolving that mental blockage for creativity. The second one I would say is emotional. So life is hard. And so a solution that you can have to get through this emotional block is to have a safe space to just feel the feels to get through it. And whether that's talking to a friend, having other like-minded entrepreneurs around you who get it is really helpful. And then the third piece being more around overwhelm, as you're mentioning. So capacity is really stretched. There might be some friction and resistance that you're experiencing. And so a solution to help with that is to really help set some healthy boundaries in place, whether that's turning on your autoresponder just to set some expectations in terms of your inbox might be really helpful just to, you know, have some space and time away to for yourself to rest and come back even stronger than just be able to identify those three key creativity blocks for mental, emotional, or overwhelm so that you can take breaks guilt-free, um, change up your environment. Maybe you need to celebrate and reward the progress that you've made that we've talked about so much today, or literally have room to dream ultimately too, literally like through sleep because it's proven to help a lot with creativity, but also to have a more rested approach when you are having to sometimes kick it into high gear and have that discipline when it gets tough because clients do rely on you to get things done. And ultimately we're our own biggest asset. So do take care of yourself because that by taking care of yourself, you're able to boost your creativity right. too. Is there a, a discipline or exercise to it? I'm thinking that, how often we get our best ideas in the showers. And, but if we don't write it down, it gets lost. So are there just little creativity hacks or disciplines you can think of that can help us generate better ideas and then remember them? Oh, yeah. 
I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> so I would say it depends because creativity is one of those things, as you're mentioning, it just pops up sometimes and you just never want to lose a fleeting thought. So for me, when it's like your phone is nearby, I have a running notepad, for example, or if I'm on my computer working on something else and another idea comes to mind, I have a running Google Doc, for example, or a folder on my desktop just to have somewhere to land ultimately that I can always come back to, I think is is really helpful so that it's just in one spot so that you're not overcapacitating yourself even further. Right. Um, and, and I do something similar. I just have this super secret um, idea blog where I just write down the, the stuff that occurs to me and then I try and make a point of going back and looking and saying, oh, I forgot about that one. That one was really good. Let's get that started. Let's, let's, let's roll a stone down the hill and see what happens. So yeah, I, th- I think I think that's a, that's a tool a lot of entrepreneurs could use however they want to do it. Yeah. One of the things that, you, that, that you've talked about doing is creating heart-centered designs. It's one of those things that I think I know what it means, but I'm not 100% sure. So can you tell us? Yeah. Heart-centered design, I would say it really comes back to how can you humanize a brand ultimately for that emotional impact that you're looking to create? So Again, coming back to, we talk a lot about values and purpose today and intention, but I think that's what really connects people ultimately and has that heart-centered approach that you might be looking for. And uh, as we head towards the exit here, can you tell us a a story of a client that you've worked with where you've actually achieved this together, a real-life case study? Yeah, I would say the 401 was a good example as well because so much of their work is so values-driven as a nonprofit especially and being able to help young women around the world with leadership skills and development. I think that has always been something really important to them and something that I wanted to translate into design ultimately as well. And so by making sure that it's really approachable and easy to read, especially when the content can be a lot to consume or traditionally dry with a lot of numbers, it can be very important to make sure that that's easy to translate to people, um, especially because people's attention span is, uh, you know, very limited nowadays. It's important to recognize that and really design for that type of experience when people are potentially looking quite passively in a way as well, but still making sure that that human approach and storytelling is at the forefront. Wow. That's great. Thank you. Um, final question before we get to the last question. Um, you have this, speaking of, 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 of a great brand, you have the Brand Party Podcast. And I love that because putting the words brand and party together make it fun. They create a certain dissonance that's actually creative and fun and, and makes you curious. Uh, so I think that was well done. Tell me about what uh, uh, an entrepreneur might find of value on your podcast. And is there one particular podcast that you'd uh, suggest that the, they might get the most value from listening to? Yeah, I would say that there is, um, you can expect fun, honest, actionable tips that you can implement right away in your entrepreneurial journey. They're nice little nutshell episodes. So whether you're getting ready in the morning to your commute on a, you know, regular basis, they're nice, short and simple in that sense to walk away with. And um, one of my favorite episodes, I would say that there's one episode early on as well of, um, 
when it's time for a rebrand, I believe. I can send you the link to include in the show notes. And so I think this way, like we've talked about too today, that it's important to come back to what's important to you and audit once in a while of what's going really well and where are some areas that you can evolve and uh, tweak further so that it is really um, impacting as much as possible um, and creating those opportunities for those connections. So that one's probably one of a favorite of mine too. So I'll definitely share that. That's very cool. I love the concept of evolving, by the way. What's going well and what can evolve? Not what do you have to change, but what can evolve, which suggests, again, that you're on a continuing mission of change. And it's all evolving. It's all getting better. It's all adapting to the environment and making you stronger. Because I think that's the thing with creativity and even business owners as people, right? That you're multifaceted in so many ways. So I like to look at brands that way as well as not like a one hit wonder or a one note sort of pony in a way, but that it does evolve with you. And it's important to to look back and um, to see how far you've come along with it too. I love that you're all about actionable advice, great ideas people can walk away with and put into effect right away. So do you have one more as we close out here? Do you have one more tip or piece of advice for our entrepreneurs. Take the time to celebrate your journey. As we've talked about today, it's really that gain, not the gap that you're looking for. And you can choose your own adventure along the way in the world of entrepreneurship, but it can be very lonely sometimes. So don't get lost along the way. It's only to your destination and enjoy it and bring some friends along the way. So Startup Canada is a great community to do that. Enjoy the journey and look for ways to evolve along the way. I love it. We've been talking with Christine Liu, the founder of CL Designs and of the Brand Party Podcast. It's been great talking talking with you and it's been great catching up on on what design really is and uh, the idea that uh, businesses can evolve which is exciting thank you for sharing all that with us and continued good luck thank you so much for having me it was our pleasure Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.